Today, Londoners have woken up to a very different city. Over half of America is on lockdown. As many of us must stay at home as possible. Hi, I'm Peter Tufano, the Dean of Said Business School at the University of Oxford. You're listening to Leadership in Extraordinary Times, a podcast that brings you the very latest business insights and analysis from our global experts. Coming up in this episode, we'll be asking, what's the role of entrepreneurs when it comes to bringing us out of the crisis and into a new normal? Episode 9. How can entrepreneurs not just recover from the crisis, but help us rejuvenate the economy? Side Business School is one of Europe's youngest and most entrepreneurial business schools. Core to who we are is the belief that innovators and disruptors, those willing to give the system a shake, are the key to finding solutions to humanity's greatest challenges. So we're putting entrepreneurs front and center in this episode. How have startups coped during the pandemic? How can entrepreneurs bring about innovations to speed up the economic recovery? And what are the specific problems that entrepreneurs are well-placed to address? To explore this and more, we brought together four panelists who are active in the entrepreneurial ecosystem to bring their different perspectives. Alice Hu Wagner is the Managing Director of the British Business Bank, a government-owned economic development bank, where she leads on strategic thinking. Sir Chris Deverell is the former UK Armed Forces Chief of Staff of the Joint Forces Command. He now runs Deverell Innovation Ventures. Julia Hawkins is a partner at Local Globe, a UK-based venture capital firm that focuses on seed stage and impact investments. And Chris Wade is a serial entrepreneur, advisor, and startup mentor. He was the founding director of the Venture Capital Unit for the UK government. He co-founded Cambridge Positioning Systems, and now he runs his own venture capital firm, Isomer. Chairing the discussion is Professor Thomas Hellman, the DP World Professor of Entrepreneurship and Innovation here at Said Business School. He also leads the Creative Destruction Lab program here at Oxford. Here's Thomas to tell you more about the idea behind the Creative Destruction Lab, with opening thoughts from the panel. The Creative Destruction Lab is based on uh, a phrase that was coined by the great economist Joseph Schumpeter um, over 100 years ago. Joseph Schumpeter thought about the forces of innovation in the economy and was the first one to provide a systematic understanding of what roles established corporations governments have, but then he pointed um, in the direction of saying entrepreneurs actually play a key role in shaking up the economy and creating creative destruction. So the word creative destruction has a nice part and a not so nice part. The nice part is the creative bit. Uh, We all love creativity. We all want to see the new and shiny thing. But the work of Schumpeter tells us very clearly that it comes at a cost and it sometimes comes at the destruction of old structures. Now, this could be at the destruction or the, at the failure of existing companies. It could be at the, the failure of existing organizations. And so no one ever said this process is going to be easy. Today, we're meeting in the middle of, of an unprecedented crisis. So what does creative destruction have to do with that? Well, frankly, that's what we're here to find out. I would now, um, I, I've said enough. It's my pleasure, Alice. Um, You'll be uh, first, maybe just introduce yourself a little bit more and then um, give your initial view on the topic of creative destruction in this crisis. 
Certainly. Thank you, Thomas. Uh, thank you for having me here today. Um, so I am with the British Business Bank, which is the UK's domestic development bank. What that means is that we uh, support all things to do with UK smaller businesses um, through all forms of finance. Uh, in the context of this conversation, we are also the largest sort of domestic uh, institutional investor into UK venture capital and one of the largest sort of in Europe and, and the world. So we actively, uh, we don't just do equity, of course, we also have lots of um, interventions in the debt space. Uh, which you will have heard of uh, with the um, coronavirus sort of business interu interruption loans and the bounce back loans and so on. Um, I uh, I definitely have been working with Thomas for a few years uh, collaboratively and enjoying it greatly. And I'm I'm very excited to talk to this audience because we absolutely believe that entre entrepreneurs are critical to the long term sort of policy objectives of government, which is what the British Business Bank serves. Um, in particular, I think that entrepreneurs are particularly good at seeing and exploiting opportunities and disruption. And what we're going through right now is, if anything, one of the largest disruptions on a secular basis that we've seen in. Mm, well, probably my lifetime at least, possibly longer. Post-Second World War would have been mine, or maybe the 70s OPEC crisis would have been the last thing that was as, as extreme as what we're seeing now. And the great thing about entrepreneurs is that you're agile and you can move around and you, you don't you're not loaded down with sort of um, the past and sort of locked in sort of positions. You have the ability to kind of pivot and move and be flexible and adaptable because you have you know, because because that's the way that you are. So you have small, you're, you know, you have that um, scope of imagination, um, which I think will help us create the future in the sense of both the jobs of the future and the society of future, of the future. So in terms of the specific problems, um, I'm going to talk about two different things. One is uh, some of the problems of our society are not changed by COVID-19. Okay, they will. They're mega trends that have been with us for a while, and they will continue. Um, the crisis, the current health crisis, only makes certain things worse. So, for example, um, I've been actively involved with the longevity um, uh, agenda, which is about the fact that we have an aging society in most of the West, and actually in places like Asia as well, who might be getting old before they get rich. Okay, that is still going to be a problem. And then if you're in a world where all the over 70s are, are particularly vulnerable to lockdown or so on, you know, that, that is an issue, and that is, that's, not, that's a problem. That's also an opportunity. Uh, similarly, climate change. Climate change will continue, uh, notwithstanding the, the improvements this year, um, they will, it will continue to be an issue, right? Um, internationalization or the reverse of internationalization will continue to be you know, a, a problem. How do you, you know, observe and respect borders whilst, whilst efficiently jumping over them as well, right? Solutions which help us do that. You know, the world's your oyster, not to, not to be too corny about it. Um, but there are certain specific problems that we think are probably going, that weren't that big of a deal, call it six months ago, that sadly are going to be more of a big deal in the next sort of um, period of time. For example, unemployment, youth unemployment specifically, right? Uh, I think I think it is going to be. We know that there are social and societal impacts to that, and one of the things that um, entrepreneurs do is they create jobs. And they also create sort of the new jobs that can adapt to the current environment. Um, now, in terms of solutions, I'm going to defer to my panel, my fellow panelists, more on the solutions. I mean, um, 
my only, uh, I mean, working for government, we, we try to enable a wide range of solutions, um, but we try not to necessarily uh, mandate the solutions. All I would say is that um, we have come to a point in time where ideologically, I think, um, uh, even a, even with an audience like the one I know I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you today, um, you know, government is actually, government and regulations, okay, are important. No man is an island, okay, but there, and so working with sort of these policy objectives, working with what government wants to do is, is actually uh, one path, or at least not going against the grain of it, is probably a, a successful or a useful thing to do. Um, I'll give you an example, one of my, one of my favorite stories. So um, uh, the last time we had our industries were particularly hit by something imposed by government was something like the prohibition of alcohol in the US, right, in the 1920s, uh, 100 years ago. Okay. And during that period, the, you know, if you were a brewery or a vineyard, right, I mean, this was absolutely devastating to your uh, business model and disruptive in the same way, let's say, you know, the current lockdowns are affecting the airlines, right? Now, if you look at the, some of the best vineyards sort of in the U.S., in Napa Valley and so on, the, you know, some of them actually managed to live through that period. And the way they did that was through sacramental wine as a um, you know, for those of you who are Catholics, you know, it is it is one of those um, things that you you have as part of the church. And that was an exemption for the government allowed. Right. If you produced wines for sacramental purposes, you were allowed to. And what that allowed was a, a basic level of the vineyards to sort of survive through, get through the prohibition, they find other ways of creating sort of revenues and then be able to take advantage of it sort of going on uh, sort of afterwards. And And that is an interesting thing, like, you know, um, there is there is opportunity in the destruction of sort of whole swathes of sectors. Um, I mean, the other the other example, and it's a little less happy one, is um, of course following the Second World War, um, the massive bombings in, for example, places like Germany, also were an opportunity for Germany to invest in the latest, highest quality capital equipment, and was one of the reasons why that plus the Marshall Plan meant that you know if you had the latest capital equipment were more efficient and you were able to sort of take off, right? Um, and that wouldn't have been possible if there was sort of a installed base that hadn't been destroyed um, that, that would have sort of locked in people into not adopting innovations. So to some degree, you, there is opportunity there too. Uh, thank you, that was a wonderful start. Um, we'll go to Sir Chris Deverell next. I think I should start by saying that the, the simple definition of entrepreneurship that I like best is the pursuit of opportunity beyond resources controlled. The pursuit of opportunity beyond resources controlled, which comes from Howard Stevenson, I guess, decades ago at the Harvard Business School. The second thing I can, I'd like to say is that I can't think of any dimension in life in which there could not be, at least in theory, a role for entrepreneurship. I don't think there's any problem that is in principle too big or too small or too difficult for an entrepreneurial solution. And as a result of digital technology, I think that we're far better placed to scale these solutions than at any time in history. Indeed, I am sure that data is at the heart of our route through this problem. It is certain that um, the appetite for or tolerance of new ways of doing things is likely to be higher in a crisis than it is in more normal times. So I think the time is ripe for entrepreneurship. That said, I think to help provide a focus and as a general proposition, I would advocate that entrepreneurs should play to their strengths, the, the most fundamental of which are a focus on opportunity, a willingness to take risk, urgency, 
and agility. Now, as to specific solutions, there are plenty of obvious problems to address. You know, we can see them every day, testing, contract tracing, vaccination, treatment, enabling congregation of people, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's equally obvious that there will be many thousands of people going after those same problems. So what I would say is go after problems or opportunities. We don't know we've got until you show them to us. And I think it also plays to get close to science, which I, which I think at some level always underpins breakthroughs. And don't think this is nearly over. I mean, Bill Gates has said that we've only heard the first third of this story, quoting Churchill to suggest that we are at the end of the beginning. But I think he's overestimating what has happened already in an event that is comfortably more impactful than anything else in my lifetime. To close um, these opening remarks, I'd like to um, refer you to a fabulous documentary I was watching recently on BBC iPlayer. It was about primates. And we saw capuchin monkeys using rocks and stones to crap open fruit to get at nuts. And so I want you to picture the scene thousands of years ago a bunch of capuchins sitting around, they're hungry. One of them picks up a rock and smashes a plant open and monkey superfood pops out in the form of a nut. And one of the observing monkeys said to another, well, fancy that, who knew? So I think the entrepreneur should be seeking out the rock and the plant with the intention of being the first monkey to exploit the opportunity that is latent in the combination. Thank you very much, and that, that was wonderful. I'm going to go and to Julia, and it's wonderful to have you all yours. So I'm Julia. I'm a partner at Local Globe. Um, I guess I wanted to share a little bit about uh, what we have been doing since the start of COVID. Um, we actually created a group uh, that we're calling Alpha Works, um, and this is a group that's creating localized um, delivery models for rapid prototypes and shared learning. And by that, I actually mean we've actually been been working very closely with our local community in Summerstown and in Camden, as well as at a at a national level, to try to help in in the way that we can uh, to to solve some of the more urgent uh, problems that we're seeing. So in Summerstown, for example, creating food hubs and delivering food to food banks. Uh, we've done connectivity assessments uh, to help, for example, the connectivity needs in primary schools as well as high schools. Um, and, and we've done uh, pilots uh, that solve or try to solve for isolation problems that we're seeing. So working actually alongside um, charities as well as with big corps like Amazon. Um, and we've launched a food, uh, food supermarket pilot alongside co-op. Um, and I think, I guess what, what I'm seeing is that the role of the entrepreneurs, much as has been already mentioned, is that uh, capturing this opportunity um, and capturing what we're seeing in terms of need. So the need around food, the needs that we're seeing in health, the needs that we're seeing in connectivity and isolation, as well as to get help us get out of this crisis when it comes to the role, obviously, of uh, of of incorporating not just contact tracing, but also testing, and then combining that with, um, with mobility. So for example, how do we use this notion of a, a proof of health 
uh, to enable us to get back to work, to, to travel, uh, not just domestically, but uh, internationally as well. Um, and so I guess those are the, the, the kinds of things that, that, that we are seeing uh, and that we see the, the, the areas where entrepreneurs can continue uh, to play a really important role, not just within the now, but obviously in, um, in getting, getting the economy and getting our, our, our lives back. Um, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, our final panelist will be um, Chris Wade. So over to you, Chris Wade, for your opening thoughts. You know, what's remarkable about entrepreneurs is the speed that they adjust to this current situation. They have um, reduced cost. Um, they have been able to change business models. Um, in Isomer, we invest in VCs. Um, we have, in our first iteration, our first fund, we have 24 VCs, 600 companies, we have a travel company, a company that hires uh, temporary staff for hotels. And you can imagine, that's a company that's in trouble right now. So what do they do? They pivot themselves to be able to find people to pick fruit. And it's a small, non-technical example, but it's an example of what's going on. In the mobility sector, we're seeing companies that are digitally um, with, with mobile applications, allowing people to lease cars for a short period of time, just booming in sales in the last couple of months. Electric bikes, um, companies that are building brand new electric bikes and electric bike sort of models to, to deploy them across, absolutely increasing their businesses. Um, and that's the interesting story. Um, we worry a lot about the downside um, of this crisis. And outside the context of this particular conversation, there's lots of downside. I don't want to minimize that for one second, but there's a lot of very, very interesting and, and positive things um, happening. And I wonder, and perhaps an interesting conversation, is the transition, the massive transition to online that has been enforced upon us. Um, you know, we live in this slightly digital bubble, um, people in venture capital and entrepreneurs and these kind of people, because we, by definition, are digital. That's what we invest in. That's what we do. But actually, lots of people don't. And as a result of this crisis, they are now becoming completely digital, which is a great opportunity. Uh, it also means that things that that were offline, you know, have a questionable sort of future going forward. What is absolutely critical, and the last thing I'll say, is entrepreneurs are absolutely part of the solution of our society going forward, and it is our role to support them and to figure out how, how we can make um, their world better to deliver on the promises of their vision. Now, entrepreneurs are eternal optimists, always talking of the dream and the opportunities. But in times of crisis, many might argue it's time to be realistic. Around the world now, we're facing a challenging set of economic resource decisions. And if we're going to put resources into the new, then something old has to go. So where's the hammer likely to come down first? Here's Alice Hugh Wagner of the British Business Bank with her thoughts on that. The critical thing about economics is the allocation of capital. 
right? Well, actually, it's capital and labor. I just want to say that, um, you know, some things don't change, okay? Like, I think all of my venture capital co-panelists would say that actually, you know, it's smart money and that people bet on the people, right, on when you're doing a company. And so if you have high-quality individuals, so that the allocation of resources is two things. I mean, it's the people so as well as the money. And one of the um, great opportunities right now is that uh, with, well, mass unemployment and all the rest of it is that we should be able to be able to um, reallocate really high quality, particularly younger people, um, high quality talent uh, into the best opportunities. And that is a matter of just good old, well, I mean, uh, I will leave this to the practitioners about how getting talent, you know, and talent is a scarce resource and you know, there's an opportunity to get more talent, sort of, because quite frankly, working for a big corporate is pretty risky right now too, you know? And so, hey, why not join a startup? Not because the, the risk of a startup went anywhere, it's just that the risk of the corporate just went up. So, so that's one thing, it's the allocation of people, but that is about people taking those choices. The second thing is the capital, the financial capital. Uh, government does have a role in this, but ultimately um, you do still have to convince somebody that you will give your, you know, that, that you, you are a decent investment opportunity. And it is harder when we are in a risk off world, right? Um, we talk to institutional yeah. investors and it is harder to raise. I mean, I'm, I, I'm not saying anything people don't know, right? Like it is harder to raise, it's a higher bar and you have to have your, your ducks in a row. Um, and in particular, there's also a question about diversity. You know, those of us who are perceived as bigger risks for whatever reason, it's gonna get even tougher. And, but it behooves those of us who are in a position to make the calls to try and keep that in mind. Like diversity is not a luxury that, you know, you can't afford when times get tough, it's, it's for always because cross-reference point about talent, um, you know, and so that there is a challenge for us as a society to make that happen. I think what's possibly useful is if government becomes a major source of capital uh, because we're democratically, well, somewhat democratically um, accountable, you know, we, we, we do try to look after that kind of stuff to the, to the best of our abilities. It's, it's not easy, but, um, but I do think that we, we have to make sure that the allocation of financial capital, you know, continues to work. Thomas, I wonder if I might come in. I mean, so, so I think it would be a, a big mistake for entrepreneurs not to be optimistic. Two or three observations. Firstly, to Alice's point, I think it was Schumpeter who said that, in general, the owners of stagecoaches don't build railways. You know, so, so there are um, lots of corporate organizations, big corporates around the world who will be struggling to, to cope with this new reality. And, and the entrepreneur has a great head start on, on, on the big corporate. I've come from a big corporate and it, it's really not easy to affect change. Um, the second thing I'd say about that is that, you know, it's tempting to say there is no money. And indeed, the people who are losing money, you know, their voices will drown out um, all other voices. But in my experience, there is always money. It's a question that prioritization changes. And so one has to find a way of appealing to a different prioritization. Um, but it's not as if, you know, capital just disappears from the market. It doesn't. It just, it just is reallocated on a different basis. So I, I think entrepreneurs should continue to be, and it's very important they are, um, optimistic about the future. I guess I would uh, also like to add that in terms of the availability of capital is that there are still 
nothing has changed in terms of the number of funds uh, and the amount of capital that they have raised and the amount of capital that is available in the market. Um, and, and the fact that technology remains uh, one, of, one of the biggest growth sectors in the UK economy. Uh, and so I, I think that uh, uh, just to, to reiterate what, what Chris just said, that, the, that uh, founders should feel optimistic and they should feel that um, funds are available and are uh, and there is capital that is that is there that is that is basically available to be deployed so people should not feel that uh, the funding is not available because that's actually not not the case and um, chris did you want to chris well, Wade, just, come in there? just sure just two things um on the subject of optimism um Optimism is always tempted by the cash in the company's balance sheet. Um, in other words, when you're an entrepreneur and you see your revenue stop, if the proposed wonderful A round, B round that you were planning in Q2 this year clearly looks like it is not even possible to even meet people, no mind actually get out and um, get deals done, then the good entrepreneurs will do the right thing, will actually continue to build their business, but at a lower cost basis. The number one thing an entrepreneur is in control of is the amount of cash that she or he actually is able to spend. And that is the fundamental point. The second thing I want to make, which may be unpopular, but you wanted some controversy, we're in venture capital. Venture capital is about a distribution of outcomes from your investments. Some will fail. Some will do okay. And the great hope is a few will do brilliantly well. And Local Globe is a wonderful example of optimizing for that latter end of, um, uh, um, of, the, of those, those outcomes. It's an unkind thing to say, but it has to be said that some of the current situation will expedite those companies that are going to fail, which means more capital is available for the companies that need to survive and should survive and build valuable propositions. Um, and so, so that's, that's the, the, the reality of the situation. Everybody has unbridled optimism. But at the end, you have the cash you have. There's a, a great guessing game to be had um, because, of course, no one knows the answer to this. Um, and Julia certainly, certainly mentioned that is what is going, what are, the, what are the, the consumer going to be doing? Or more importantly, what are they going to be changing as a result of being through this extraordinary experience of which, as far as I can tell, um, the human race hasn't really been through, at least in modern times. Um, how are they going to react? Are they going to be jumping on planes, going into restaurants, going into cars? You've no idea who's been in the next. Is society going to have a massive set of amnesia and then go back to normal? Who knows? But it'll be very interesting to see how that goes. Rest assured, entrepreneurs will be watching that uh, extremely carefully and trying to second guess it, and the ones that will win will. 
I do think to, to add, if I may, to that, Thomas, to, to what Chris has just said, I think it's easy to be paralyzed by uncertainty. You know, there, there is a, a ton of uncertainty out there. It affects um, VCs just as much as it and other sources of funding, just as much as it affects entrepreneurs seeking funding. And the temptation in that circumstance is kind of to, to, to kind of paralyze yourself and do nothing. Well, I, that, I wouldn't advocate that. I do think that you should try and think hard about the problem and make positive decisions, even if those decisions are to say, right, we're going to draw in our horns and um, see this one out for a little while. But, but you know, decisive response to uncertainty, I think, separates the wheat from the chaff. So far, the picture the panel has painted is of entrepreneurs being well-positioned to seize the opportunities created by this crisis, as they can be fast, flexible, and creative. But in the final part of this episode, we're going to hear what might stand in their way. Established corporations, for example. Surely we can't expect them to just sit back as the startups move in. Maybe they're going to get really competitive protecting their turf. How much is that a threat to entrepreneurs? Chris Wade is up first. It just hasn't been the case that um, true innovation of the scale and nature that's going to be required um, comes from um, big corporations. Um, the hope from our world, our simple little world, is that big corporations sort of uh, get into their corporate checkbook and actually start buying more companies um, to fill their innovation pockets. Um, that's that's the way I see it. You know, it, it just doesn't seem to be plausible that these super tankers can change, particularly don't, when we don't know which direction the super tanker should be pointed. We just don't know how this is going to work out. So it seems highly improbable to me that actually um, the most ambitious uh, entrepreneurs should be worrying about what the um, the corporates are doing. Okay, I'm going to try and um, go the a little bit opposite, which is that um, I agree, actually, that, that we don't know where we're going. But remember, the name of the game could be just survival. So, you know, um, startups pivot all the time. But startups with uh, longer runways have more pivots before they die, right? And so the more money you have, or rather, the lower your burn rate, the more runway you have, the more pivots you have in you and you can survive for longer to fight another day. The thing that the big corporates have is big, stonking, huge runways, right? They just have to outlast um, some of our startups. And, 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 then, and then they're like Microsoft, and everybody uses Teams and gets sort of uh, locked into it. They don't have to be better. They just have to last longer. Uh, Chris Darrow? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I do think that large corporations can... Uh, build railways to to, to um, pick up the Schumpeter point from earlier, but I think it's rare that they do. And if I was um, an entrepreneur myself, actually trying to develop a startup, I would be much more worried about other startups than I would be about um, you know big corporates. But but what there are, of course, is thousands of other entrepreneurs going after the same problem set, and they're the people to worry about. How do you beat them? Maybe Julia, can you just focus this question in? Among the many startups that are trying to develop diagnostics and therapeutics specifically related to COVID, will they outrun the large pharmaceuticals or how does the game look like in that specific industry? Well, I, I think the, the first thing to say is that uh, 
this is an enormous market when it comes to diagnostics. Uh, and I think there will be many, many large companies that will be created as a result of, of COVID. So uh, both uh, on the antigen and antibody testing, as well as obviously with vaccines, I think that there is both uh, a, a role for large corporates like we've seen that have been able to, to actually move very quickly. But also uh, we're seeing young startups that are as a result actually of, of COVID. And now the fact that they are um, trying to respond and, and quickly deliver both diagnostics as well as potential treatments. Um, I think that actually the, the, the playing field is... Um, actually quite level um, and and may, maybe that's because I'm seeing both the very very early stage startups coming out of EF for example um, with great ideas that actually have been able to accelerate uh, what normally takes months and months and months of development uh, to get uh, products to market in extraordinarily quickly um, so so I guess I'm um, yeah, I, I feel actually very, very optimistic, both from for early stage startups, as well as corporates, specifically within the field of diagnostics, as well as therapeutics. My thanks to Julia Hawkins, Chris Wade, Sir Chris Deverell, Alice Hu Wagner, and Professor Thomas Hellman. My name is Peter Tufano, and you've been listening to Leadership in Extraordinary Times, a podcast from Side Business School at the University of Oxford. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about the series, please visit OxfordAnswers.org. Thanks for listening.